Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler here with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. And it's the end of summer, and I'm joined by my frequent co-hosts, Brooke Gilman and Jim Maroney. How's it going, guys? Good. Good, Peter. I know this is the time where a lot of people are out doing fun things or not so fun things. And I know the three of us have been off here and there. So let's catch up. Let's start with you, Jim. How was your vacation? I'll start by saying I don't like hearing you say this is the end of the summer. It's not. I have no young kids, so school doesn't start for us. So the end of the summer for me is end of September, but it is almost the end of August. I took two-week block leave this month. It was very nice. Had comparatively good weather to July. So I was able to golf, beach, that sort of stuff. So you were in a tournament. Did you actually do well in that golf tournament? Oh, yes. You did? <laughs> I, I did okay. What does that mean? That I'm not used okay? to hearing that very cheap little trophy. And, you got uh, a trophy? A trophy and some cashish. It wasn't like a participation trophy. It was actually <laughs> for real results. I, I will admit my mantle is full of participation and bowling trophies, but no, it was like a grown-up golf trophy. It was fun. We had good weather. What'd you do, Brooke? I didn't get a trophy, so that's a bummer. But I've generally been working more than not working, so that's also a bummer. But I have taken a few days here and there. Mainly, though, yeah, our August weather has been far better than July. So I've been trying to just maximize lake time and I don't know, just enjoy summer stuff. A lot of kid time. I'm super excited. I'm in the mode of, yes, yeah, summer feels like it's ending because my kids go back to school next week. But I'm also very excited about that for them and for me. So that's good news. And my big vacation I had a vacation or a holiday planned during April of 2020 that then got delayed to this past April of 2021 that then got pushed to the beginning of September. So I am heading to the Galapagos Islands for a 10-day trip, which I don't know, hopefully will be a great trip and COVID-free. That's my goal, at least. Sounds beautiful. Sounds fancy. I like it. Yeah. You want to know about me? We, oh, yeah. So, Peter, talk uh, Let's talk about you. me. Let's yeah. talk about me. So... So I don't take any vacations because I have two kids in college now. All what are you I do talking is work. About? You've been out all like I do for is half work. of this month. No, a little bit here and there, but last week all I did, which was vacation time, but didn't feel like a vacation, is dropping two kids off at college in Virginia and the daunting task of how much money that costs. But it was still fun and it makes me feel old and makes me want to go back to college because college looks like a lot of fun again. And I feel like I'm close in age to those people, but I am so not. So that was a big realization for me last week. And so yesterday was my first day back and couldn't be happy to be back. Rejuvenated, excited. Is that because you missed your colleagues and you're just sort yeah, of... Yeah, I, I missed you guys. I can't say I missed all my colleagues, but I missed you guys. Yes. Well, Peter, Jim... I know that you probably are a little bit sad and jealous because Peter and I and another of our colleagues, Chris James, had a little mini offsite and they came up to Vermont for a couple of days at the beginning of August so we could do some strategy planning. And we had fun, but not as much fun as it would have been if you would have been around Jim. So maybe another year. Peter and I will come up in the ski season. Oh, there you yeah. go. All right, let's do that. That's a great plan. We could do a podcast from Stowe, Vermont. I like that idea a lot. Perfect. Done and done. Okay. So, so given all of that, what's going on in the market, Jim? I know at least coming back, I heard about a couple corporate action trades that were maybe the bulk of the excitement last few weeks. Yeah, Can you touch nice. on those? 
Yeah, sure. It's kind of a global trend. We did a podcast on capital raising and that continues in different flavors, but it's good to have the broker community focused on something other than re-rating the book because there's no new risk getting put on, which is typically what you see the last two weeks of August, the last three weeks of August. But we had a deal, Naspers in South Africa, which was a tender, paid anywhere from a dollar to 250 cents per share, depending on how you did the trade and when you did the trade, it was for take no action elections as is typically the case with the tenders. We just had one that closes, I believe, tomorrow, WH Group in Hong Kong, which is also a tender that paid 35 cent Hong Kong cents per share, but a lot of investors held very large positions in that WH Group. So that was a profitable one for some of our lenders. In Europe, there's numerous different capital raises, either in corporate bond issuance or rights issuance, and there's trades on the back of that many times. It's doesn't get into the hard to borrow space, you know, 5% or higher, it gets more one to 5%, but certainly a scale game and something that has kept our traders in Europe fairly busy. We've also seen kind of cap raise in different flavors in Asia as well. And those are trades where you have to coordinate with Brooks Group, right? I mean, that's an interesting situation where you're not just lending things, you have to coordinate and bring in your relationship <laughs> management colleagues to connect yeah. with the clients. So it's interesting. How's that dynamic work between it the two is, groups? Really um, well, really well. It works best. really well. <laughs> In my experience, it works probably better here than most shops. You do need to engage clients. That's what they pay us is to bring opportunities and select what works for them and what doesn't. And so we continue to do that, like doing it. Brooke, who's making the call on those things? Is it our main contact or do they have to get the buy-in from the individual portfolio managers? No, it typically is reaching out to the individual portfolio managers. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that'll vary at the client, whether we might have some direct interaction with the portfolio managers or whether those are all external managers or, you know, a little bit of a mix. So it can vary. Jim, so if we were to rewind the tape on this year to an earlier podcast, and I probably, I don't know, maybe I could figure out which one it was. I remember talking about you making a prediction or us asking you whether you thought this year, 2021, the top revenue generating securities, whether those primarily would be these capital raising sort of deal name trades. And I think your prediction was that you thought they would be at the top of the list for this year, 2021, meaning that your more traditional specials activity or more short activity wouldn't necessarily be at the top of the revenue generating list. And then I feel like maybe in the spring or so that I was worried your prediction might not hold but now it feels like maybe you are going to come out on the right side of that prediction. Or what do you think? What's your view today if we were to ask you that question anew? Yeah, that's definitely the case. And especially if you throw IPOs and the trading around the lockups of IPOs as part of that corporate action capital raise deal space certainly is where a lot of the revenue this year has been made. I think in the spring, behavior changed on the hedge fund side in that they became more aware of and allergic to velocity that is around short squeezes and crowded shorts. And so what we're seeing and have seen and are hearing of reports that ETFs are used more and more these days to put on positions and create exposure. A good example, Robinhood is an IPO that came recently. There's been short interest on it, but there's also been increased short interest on the ARK Innovation ETF, A-R-K-K. And that ETF holds a lot of names that are shorted in the market, Tesla, Zoom, Teladoc, and then more recently that Robinhood. And so I think it's, a, and I've read in the journal a couple of pieces on well-known hedge funds, long short hedge funds that are using ARC as a way to get short those names that are otherwise subject to short squeezes. And so 
yeah, I think a little help from the retail guys, I finally had a prediction that made some sense and was right. May not happen again in my lifetime. I know it's summertime and there's a lot of people away and it's pretty quiet. What are you looking for as people re-engage after Labor Day to have a sense for what the next quarter looks like before we tie up the year? For me and for us at ESEC, there's two things we're watching. One is, is short interest for in the U.S. So it's since June, it's drifted. In the last two or three weeks, it's really fallen off in terms of new risk. What's on is on. And we fight that normal fight, which is borrowers will take 5,000 shares of a million position that isn't used and use that to re-rate the position down to GC as best they can. So that's a piece that we're watching is the U.S. market. And the other piece is how brokers are looking to optimize their sheet. And so it is coming in the flavor of very structured borrow trades. And so it's a little bit different than the market was five or six years ago. And there is no standard cookie cutter answer. It's not plain vanilla lending. It's do we have clients whose risk profiles and ideas of good trades match up with brokers who have requirements in certain spaces. And so from my perspective, keeping borrowers busy looking at those trades and hopefully getting a bunch of them done keeps them from focusing on re-rating their book and making things cheaper based off of nothing else to do. Does that give us an advantage based on how we're structured with separate programs and give up at trade? Yeah. Borrowers know our clients' portfolios a little bit better than they would at an omni structure lender because of the disclosure. And we have, because of the way we're structured, we manage it program by program, client by client. I think we have connectivity that really behooves having conversations around unique structures. And so we, as a small entity, we're a hundred people or so, we're able to move fairly quickly on a relative basis in terms of getting these trades over the line, whether it's papering them or whether it's just having conversations about risk profiles, doing risk stress testing, everything that comes with a new idea, we're able to get that done more quickly than many. And so I think we see a lot of those opportunities from the sell side of the street. you have any examples that you could share with people, like a generic example of something that would speak to this trend of a specific borrower has a need given their balance sheet and their capital requirements and their client base yeah, that they I, look to structure with us? Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is it is regulatory ARB. And so whatever that is to somebody, whether it means including some sort of term component that may come inside of an exclusive or setting up their business for contingencies, something might happen in the future, We'll get relief if we have a structure in place that allows us to transact, but that's a tail risk type scenario. Okay. Is it fair to say that each borrower has a very different circumstance when it's easy to just generally think that they all have the same circumstance or all looking at slightly differently? All slightly different. I think you can bucket a handful of them by either region or type a bank versus a broker dealer, Canadian guy versus a US guy versus a UK guy versus Hong Kong. But it's generally unique to each in terms of their perspective and their balance sheet and how they have to manage that inside their bank and their requirements and the costs of each piece of business. And we're just looking for spots where our clients' assets on a loan basis or on the reinvest side can help satisfy that. And it's a win-win. Sometimes it's a lot of work for no outcome, but when you do finally hit, it seems to be worth it for every party involved. Great. Thanks. Jim, when you bucket them, like if you think about it in terms of somewhat like-minded counterparts in terms of their entity type or their domicile or whatever it might be that might have 
similar regulatory factors that they're trying to address. Are you seeing any consistency in what they want to do in terms of solutions, or are they all coming up with sort of their own version of creative problem solving and trade structures that then cause folks like ourselves and ultimately our clients to need to consider lots of different variations on these types of more structured trades? Yeah, it's all different forms of a mousetrap. So they are all slightly different. It'd be nice if that were standardized, but it'd also be a lot easier for that business to then be spread out across many lenders and many, many agents. Having it be bespoke solutions for each set of broker dealers, I guess, is the way to talk. And then inside of that, even a different tweak to that business creates opportunity for us and for our individual clients, I think. And what about, I know that balance sheet considerations always matter, but are you seeing more of this in terms of U.S. equity, general collateral lending, trying to address with these types of different structures, or are you seeing it much broader than that in terms of demand for different asset types? No, it's mostly easy to borrow, I guess is the the best way to describe it. So all those structures... Broker dealers, there's always a willingness to just take specials or anything with a little bit of specialness to it. You know, it'd be a new special. They have a willingness just to take that any way we need to have them take it. So these structures are really around non-unique assets and they're long sell cycles. Usually takes six months to get something done, not, not two phone calls, unfortunately. It's probably ops and legal heavy and a lot of approvals on the client borrower our side, right? Yeah, those are the two big groups, other than our two groups, other than client service and trading. I think it's ops and legal. A six-month sell cycle, though, to Basler is incredibly short, let's be clear. So what is long to you, Jim, might yes. be short to someone else. So, you know. That's a very, I, I appreciate that sensitivity, Brooke, <laughs> and that understanding. I wish more people at our company understood that fact. <laughs> but, I mean, we had a client review this month where... It was a one year where we're doing a great job for this client. We're hopefully going to get a follow-on mandate. And that's somebody that we won last year around this time. And I've been talking to them for probably 10 years. So it also depends on where you set the start clock for the sales cycle. Is it when you first engage with them or is it when you're actually engaged on a specific mandate slash idea? So it can be very depressing depending on how you want to calculate that. What are clients and prospects talking about, Peter, in the summer months? Are they looking to that last quarter as anything where they want to get new ideas across the line or is it status quo? You know, we've got a lot of things that I would call kind of on the rim that have been punted past the summer months, basically for two reasons. One being COVID and not being together in the office which I'm not sure if that's a real thing or if it's easy to point to that, but there's been a lot of, listen, I want to look my colleagues in the eye, bring people into a conference room, make a decision. And the other thing is just vacation. So I think it's those two things. I'm hopeful that in the fall, there's more engagement on some of these things that are quote unquote on the rim. So wait a minute, Peter, you use the phrase on the rim twice now. Are you saying, does that mean on the verge of happening or does that mean circling the rim and could pop out or both? You're talking about new business, right? And yes. hold on, is this a basketball oh. reference, people? Because not all of our listeners are necessarily going to understand this potential. I'm, technology. I'm not sure why I went with that, but when I say on the rim, I'm thinking it's on the verge of a ball going into the net. So yes, basketball, and yes, it's positive leaning, but it's not done yet, is my okay. thinking. And so, and so I- to me, it's like on a pipeline, you're going to call them 
very probable near-term prospects. And so I think the names I'm thinking about, which I won't disclose here, but you guys know them, are names where we're basically ready to work on contracts. And they've been derailed for whatever reason, likely because of vacations and or COVID, meaning that people don't meet a lot to discuss new initiatives. And these are things that often don't have to get done. They're more optional. Does that make sense? I am now clear. It would. So I was trying to answer your question. I might have used a reference that wasn't applicable in all circumstances to people, but hopefully we've now explained a little. Well, can I just take it one step further with continuing a basketball reference and say that, Basler, if you were able to just dunk a few more prospects for us, <laughs> that, that would be way more efficient. So could you work on that? Right. Please? So it's five, five and a half on a good day. <laughs> I think what I need to work on is my jumping skills. Yeah. This is helpful. Thank you. So Jim, talk to me about back to the office type of arrangements at the borrowers. Are people back in the office? Or are there plans to come back in the office? And has that changed any of the engagement or dynamics on your side? I think most borrowers are either hybrid or all back in the office at this point. And those who aren't have plans to come back in September once summer's over, much like we do in some sort of hybrid plan. So does that change? Yes. You know, the days I'll be in the office in a hybrid model will be days that borrowers want to come to Boston or days that I want to go to New York. So I think We'll try and optimize that. You want to make sure you're in the office when others are in the office so that you can generate that creativity, play off each other that a trading desk typically gets and that we've been missing, that one small piece that we've been missing working from home. But I think it's still to be determined how it works. But borrowers, for the most part, are working from their offices in New York. Not sure what's happening. Okay, might be a little bit different. Right. Well, I think that's a good place to pause and wrap it up. I know next time we do this podcast, we might be doing it from the office, right? We're going to be probably hybrid after Labor Day for the most part. So that'll be a nice change of pace. And hopefully that is also a good change of pace to see some uplift in this market and all these vacations and challenges. Some of them will be behind us and hopefully I'll get some more prospects to engage with us so we can finish the year strong. But I'm not uh, sure about sitting in a room with you two to do this podcast. I mean, I feel like our dynamic is so much better, you know, where we all can be sort of separated from one another. We can still sit at our different desks or different conference rooms. I mean, I think there'll be space for that. So. And I think it's all in cameras at each desk. So you can stay at your desk, Brooke, and I'll stay at mine. We're all <laughs> and my camera will see your camera from behind our backs. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in to ESEC Learning Insights. Hopefully we made you laugh and we gave you something to think about. And we wish you a great last bit of summer as we wrap up August. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.